0: This is a Media Lab podcast. I, I, I just don't think that's acceptable. Two weeks? How, how can I be out here for two weeks? I'm in the middle of nowhere. Dave, I'm on the phone with the mechanic.
1: What are you ordering? I'm not
0: ordering anything. You know that the ship has broken down and we're here on some weird asteroid in the middle of nowhere. So I'm trying to get the space mechanic to come out here and fix this. But they're being unreasonable. You get really good service here. Yeah. A, I get better service here than I get from my cell phone plan in Canada in the middle of Calgary, Alberta. Apparently, you can't send a repair person out at this space time of lunar year, so I don't know. Do you, how, how are your roundhouse kicks, Dave? Well, let me just take my shoes off. And, yeah, do that. Yeah. and k- go barefoot. Just kick that console. Kick that console and see if I'll get it up and running.
1: I have been training Hapkido my whole life Ooh. for this moment.
0: On a rinky dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again, this is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus the machine. Alright, welcome to Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm The Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then, another apocalypse happened. Somehow, it's used its powers to transport us across time and space, so now we're on our way back to Earth. The Machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although, we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're gonna be talking about the movie, Billy Jack.
1: I'm gonna take this right foot, and I'm gonna whop you on that side of your face. And you wanna know something? There's not a damn thing you're gonna be able to do about it. Really? Really? It's funny, isn't it? How everybody in town's afraid of you. But I guess it's a good thing they are. Because if they weren't, they'd hurt the school a lot more than they do now. What's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen. And all your worry in the world isn't going to change that. Believe
0: me. Dave, I I don't want to speak for you necessarily. Although I will. Uh, Classic. (laughs) From what I remember our conversation being last week, you have no idea what this movie is, right? No,
1: never heard of it.
0: This movie, not only have I never heard of it. I'm so uh without words here. I might like words fail me because the more I learn about this movie that I was reading about in the past week, I'm like how have I never heard about this movie before? <laughs> it is bonkers how it got made. The storyline itself is bonkers. And there's four sequels. <laughs> like, I don't get how nobody in my uh, 30-something years of life has ever talked about this movie or I've just never heard it spoken I about. I wonder
1: if it's because we're Canadian. Like, I wonder if Maybe, Americans... Maybe. Yeah, I wonder if Americans know about this more than we would because there's America in it.
0: A lot of American in this, like upholding the, the tenets of America. A lot of white
1: savior action. Oh, sorry.
0: Half. Yes. Half. Yeah, we right. have, we, we have, have to watch be, it later. We have to be yeah, clear. We'll watch it. I blew past this. I should give a big thank you to Green Girl YYC and It's a Conspiracy Podcast for being our Patreon supporters. But I, I guess because this is technically not even technically, it is an independent movie made outside of the studio system even though the studio system was basically crumbled at that point. But this was made with like Tom Laughlin's own money with some uh, very uh, high-profile friends, what is your history with independent cinema?
1: I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, what, <laughs> what answer are you looking for?
0: I'm talking about your porn consumption, Dave. <laughs> uh, no, I'm... <laughs> there is, of course, the Hollywood blockbusters, Hollywood machine. I'm the only machine that matters. What gets uh, advertised to us in the broader popular culture, but then there's those smaller movies that get made, and some of them do break through to the public consciousness, but uh, are kind of there to help support independent uh, theaters, popular amongst a certain crowd, but never really are, like, broadly popular. And I'm wondering, like, when was it in your life that you started watching those types of movies rather than the big blockbuster Disney films? You know, you actually went further afield.
1: I don't know. I... I guess I I guess my answer is that I have never been actively aware of what I'm watching from a production <laughs> perspective. It's
0: thrown in my face. I just never know what's going to happen.
1: Well, you know the first thought other than Red Violin that I had is uh probably Cube or uh okay. Something other, you know, like these weird obscure movies, but I don't remember how I came across them. I don't think I was aware of their uh Production history, I think I just hear that there are cool weird things at a video store that you're probably not supposed to watch and I watch them. I okay. as, a, as a non-academic, I am never fully aware of what is independent. I mean, we are all aware of what is a studio film, I think, just from the promotional power behind it, which uh, we'll talk about is uh, apparently kind of coming from the third version of this film
0: yes yeah that's what I mean like this is so revolutionary so some of the stuff weird, this guy dude. did yeah. and n- I've never heard about this person in my entire life I think really my first four-way four-way oh my god wow. <laughs> that, that was a little bit of a slip here of the time here we go <clears throat> well my first foray also happened in the 90s <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> young was for that, you big,
1: isn't it I
0: uh <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been uh I was, uh, I was, I was, I was balling at five years old, Dave. Oh, no. Um no. No.
1: No, let's not, let's not death and Venice this. Let's, let's yeah, be better than that.
0: I think it was really that huge push that came in like the late 80s, early 90s. There was like this huge independent cinema wave that happened mostly with Sex, Lies and videotape. That was kind of like the first one. And then Tarantino came out like right, right after that. And that was a lot of independent cinema. Oh, he's considered uh, independent. Reservoir Dogs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs specifically was. Yep. But that was kind of like my first introduction to it back then. The before series would probably be considered that mm. too, with Richard Linklater kind yeah, of. Yeah, I watched on all of the those. Scene. Yeah. And they're good. Mm-hmm. They're great. I guess. Yeah, that's I love those movies. Okay. Learning, um,
1: education.
0: Th- that was kind of my first story. Because, yeah, up until then, it really was a diet of what was being pushed like as the top rentals at the right. video store in my small town up until a certain point, I was just watching like the big blockbusters cause there was one screen available. So of course they're going to play the thing that is going to attract the most amount of people. Um, I don't know if you know this Dave, I haven't actually mentioned this. I don't think on the podcast before, but my theater burnt down What? Uh, when I was young. Yeah. It's uh, really weird. How did you live? Uh, so, <laughs> so I didn't have a, uh, didn't have access to movies as far as a theater going goes, but yeah, the, Video rental place I get, went to, and yeah, they were like like the Polly Shore movies, and they were like the, the latest Disney films and James Bond, like all that kind of stuff was really what I was consuming. And it wasn't really until I got to university that I was starting to yeah, really glom onto the more uh, artistic side of cinema, and I got to be super pretentious for a while, and still am to a certain degree. But I was super pretentious back then.
1: Well, we do make this podcast. I yeah, I think the same thing. I think you have to be near someone who's smarter than you to find out that these movies exist, because they weren't on TV and they weren't being pushed mm-hmm. in a in a magazine or in some public media sphere. So you needed an in inside uh, mm-hmm. inside source, either a video store employee or some college nerd that was studying film. Exactly. I can't explain how I found. I mean, Reservoir Dogs that. Maybe that was big enough to break through. I I, I I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any anecdotal memory. Well,
0: yeah, it was Pulp Fiction really that broke through. Reservoir Dogs was still pretty tiny. Oh, yeah, maybe we go
1: back to Reservoir Dogs after Pulp Fiction. But like, for example, Cube, I'm pretty sure I watched, I have to look up the launch date. Is that when I was still in high school? Who cares? But that's a weird movie, right? Those kind of movies stick out in my mind. I have no idea how I discovered it. Because that is uh, that's a weird movie. It's good.
0: Well, I think I think too. It's something that I'm kind of discovering, and especially going through the year 1971. And I I don't know. I don't know when this division actually happened. Some people would probably say it was Jaws. Maybe some people will say it was Star Wars, where people just really gravitated towards just the popcorn flicks and stuff Mm. like that. But I mean, when we take a look at again 1971, some of the top-grossing films are The French Connection, Fiddler on the Roof the last picture show like uh, whether you like these movies or not these are not blockbuster films that would be made in the year 2021 that would appear in the top 10 grossing films of the year so there seemed to be this huge division where there used to be a time where blockbuster or things that made a lot of money could also be something that you would call like Artistic, or I don't know mm. what the word is that I'm looking for, but something that is uh, more intellectual, more stimulating, more intellectual than than what you might get now. And now there seems to be this huge division where it's like you're either doing a superhero, a car chase movie to throw the Fast and the Furious franchise under the bus. But oh, that's, that's a pun. There's, there's there's that side of thing, or it's just like super independent, two million dollar budget mm. film, which is super low for nowadays that nobody really goes and sees but is trying to do something more and there seems to be like those two gulfs and very little of that like in the middle that like if someone tried to make the godfather today it's like you might get like a 2 million dollar budget or 3 million dollar budget to try and make that movie now and it would just then go onto netflix as like a four part Serious? Serious? <laughs> you would not actually even release really that into theaters, probably at this point.
1: Yeah, uh, we'd have to be cultural historians or sociologists or ethnographers to see where mm-hmm. I think the '70s is kind of where this uh, polarization and maybe the rotting of culture starts. Because you know, as we learned about, for example, trailers and having to show the ending to stimulate an audience to actually pay the twenty-five bucks to go see a theater. From the trailers we've been watching, that is not the case in the birth of trailers, right? I mean, this was mostly to pique interest that you might be titillated. But now, in order for people to go, uh, for the mass public to go and pay to see a movie, they need to be assured either that there's a happy ending or they know what they're getting into. So, if it's a horror flick, they need to make sure they have enough gore. Uh, Otherwise, why spend 25 bucks when I can get something on Netflix? I
0: I always just love it too where in the early 70s so many trailers start off like from the best-selling book or it's like from the award-winning play I'm like no one would say that is the first thing in a trailer nowadays there's no way that you would anyone would even care about where it came from in the first place
1: surely you can't expect me to read
0: well let's do this here Dave well enough beating around the bush I'm excited to jump into this movie that I've heard nothing about so we're gonna go thank some sponsors and then when we return we're gonna be talking about Billy Billy Jack You, you have a mushy mouth sometimes. Uh, as I do edit this show, I do have to sometimes take out that mushiness a little I bit. Don't know, I don't know what to do about it. I think... Stop eating peanut butter
1: before we record. Uh, today I'm blaming Pfizer, so... Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> Pfizer's fault. How convenient. Today's excuse comes to you from Pfizer. You're inoculated. Your wife is inoculated. Yeah, she's at, do you both have to go for second she, uh, shots?
1: We have to call later for the second shot. Helen's feeling the brutal second day symptoms mm-hmm. right now.
0: Colin Dave vs. the Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. You know, this episode, Dave, of Colin Dave versus the Machine is brought to you and us and everyone by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Just about your age, I guess, Dave. Isn't that's that right? Depressing. You, you're Actually, you're closer to 65 <laughs> than, than not. So Thank that's you. A, just a little fun just, fact just I'm throwing out there to the, keep uh, to the viewing it. audience. Brutal. When you make a gift to the Calgary Foundation, it's a gift that keeps on giving. The Foundation's knowledgeable staff will provide advice on the community's most pressing needs, keeping your interests at heart, and helping you give back in a way that is meaningful for you. Your contributions are invested in an endowment fund that provides a permanent source of funding, allowing you to make an impact now and forever. If you're a professional advisor creating a giving plan for a client or a donor wanting to give back to the community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org to learn more or check out Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. Talking about YouTube channels, Dave, uh, we're live on YouTube currently, and Jen is in the uh, viewing room here, uh, sending us notes. Notes,
1: so, I love it. It's a, a critique, like, I don't like the way that you're looking at this camera. No,
0: no. Switch <laughs> so uh, to B-roll. She, she, currently is, she currently is Googling just to find out more about Billy Jack, oh. uh, and it's like, you don't even know. Like, you're. This is going to be a wild ride for a lot of people if you've not seen this movie Jen before. Jen just
1: stepped onto the precipice. Of a Google yeah. hole, this guy Tom Laughlin.
0: Do not Google hole, though. That is. Oh, well,
1: Courtney you know, Love was trending yeah. for a bit. I don't know why. Ah, uh, that's yeah. uh, maybe she's all over YouTube.
0: Uh, Dave, what do you have for me?
1: Uh, today's message from Dave. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not for profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski. And we love, oh, there's a break there. And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great
0: fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. We're, and we're and the, again, we are not reading this off. This is just coming right from the just, heart. Uh, we know everything we're about to say.
1: Because we believe it. <laughs> I wonder if you'll keep that in. We'll get fired.
0: <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see if that actually makes the episode or not. Uh, you are not getting paid for this <laughs> yeah. episode, you two. We cannot, in good faith, <laughs> We have this. just lost a sponsor. Yeah. You assholes. Dave. I have so much to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> with this movie. I this here's I have to say just to steal your thunder cuz normally I ask you first to tell me your thoughts on the movie. I don't think this movie is a good movie, but a great one. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was, I, I almost want to say this is a great bad movie. Like, I don't know how else to term it. Like, I was never bored because I was like, I have no idea where this is going. I have literally no idea how this is going to resolve itself. And that's like, oh, now he's dancing with a snake. And oh, now there's a horse that's died in front of me. Because apparently in 71, we just killed animals on oh, screen. No we know that. We know that for a fact now. Uh, we're going to watch this uh, improv scene just go on for 15 minutes. <laughs> the first
1: <laughs> of seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to push
0: this car into the lake. I'm like, what is this movie? Oh what is God. happening in this movie? I, I, what is your oh, first wow. impressions of the movie Billy Jack? Uh,
1: I think it can be best sum, summed up by the fact that we have, I screen capped it. There are probably 15 pages of texts we were expe- exchanging <laughs> while watching this movie. It is an endless yeah. series of brutal delight. It's awful. It's an awful movie that you can't. It's like watching, you know, it's the car crash metaphor. You can't take your eyes off it. You know you should. Mm -hmm. And you have a moral responsibility to not give this movie your attention. But it is a fascinating thing because they're trying so hard.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to behold. It has a fascinating backstory. Uh, You're going to give me so much pushback on this episode because maybe I'm giving this too much credit. But what I, I have to say is that what it feels like to me is that the heart of the creators is in the right place, just executed so poorly <laughs> in the final product. It's like, yeah, all these things that you're bringing up, it's true. Yeah, I, I agree with so many of the things you're bringing up, but you're bringing up way mm. too many things to try and put into one movie, maybe ahead of your time as far as like championing rights for certain groups. For all groups,
1: um, just and then ultimate,
0: all Like, just all <laughs> groups. And then ultimately, I don't really know what your message is supposed to be. I think that gets a little bit too muddled. With a main character who, I have to say, is maybe in this movie for, I don't know, 30 minutes of a two-hour runtime. Like, he's not really in it all that much, the character of you, Billy Jack. You see his feet. see his feet. You do see his bare feet, roundhouse kicking some punks. But, um... <laughs> This is the one this is the other part that you might uh, push back. I find Tom Laughlin. Oh, Laughlin? Laughlin? I don't know actually say his last name. Laughlin? Let yeah. me say Laughlin. Tom Laughlin. <laughs> Sounds like Wafflin. Has has ha, has so little chemistry. Charisma. Screen, charisma. Or, um, charisma. Charisma. He has he has so little charisma. That for me, it like loops back around to him having weird <laughs> charisma where it's like, I can't stop watching this guy. Like, there's just something about it that there's like this black hole of charisma that somehow like draws me in by like the gravity pull. It's your
1: countryness.
0: Of this dark star. It's your countryness.
1: Star. You know, staring off into the void, looking, looking intently at a block of wood as you're about to chop it with your, with your axe. I mean, is this a white man's sweetback? It's a weird thing. He's trying so so hard. I was thinking
0: about that sort of, again, two independent films that we're basically talking about, like made by their creators. I think that Sweetback is more pointed in its criticism. It's more focused on what it's trying to do. I just don't think it's very well made as a movie. This is kind of the exact opposite. I think that the movie is, it's fine. It's not like it's amazing direction or anything like that, but it feels like an actual movie at the very least to me. But with like a very scattered point that it's well, trying Well, I think
1: that's why it's an apt comparison. I think that when I was watching it, I felt like the core of this is this growing sentiment we're seeing in the late 60s, early 70s, that something is fundamentally wrong with everything. Right. Um, but we get two perspectives. Uh, Sweetback's the perspective of the oppressed, of someone who's broken, of someone who's trying to speak out at a history of uh, being the personal point of being attacked and here we have uh, the white savior literally with his shoes off kicking oppression in its face and we, we get something that's reflective let's say of Twitter you know how people phrase how to fix the world when you're in a position of privilege you make a movie about a guy with a shitty flat brimmed hat who uh, takes, takes yeah. society like literally by himself getting shot with his medicine bag the fucking doesn't make any sense and then goes to court. I think they should have been more improv.
0: I think that's the, one of the biggest things is that, and this is, by the way, this is a <laughs> sequel to another movie that we'll get into because I watched that movie too. Dave didn't, but I watched the first I read the movie. synopsis and I decided um, I was
1: better for, better than that.
0: <laughs> probably That's probably true. It, it's actually a worse movie than this one um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, but it's 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 stated in this one. It's carried over into this, which is that he is half Native American, which Tom no. is not like he, it's completely made up. It'd be one thing if he actually was right. And it's like, OK, so you have a little bit of uh, a pedestal to stand on and talk about this stuff. But to like kind of co-opt Native Americans with a fake tribe name that doesn't actually exist in real life. It feels like very performative in this like. Maybe you should have just had Billy Jack be a Native American then, if that is what yeah, your point
1: is. You know, and this is the thing about cancel, like modern cancel culture's attempt as, as we've talked about before of rewriting history. You cannot make this movie in 1971 with, uh, with a First Nations sure. person starring in it. Not only will nobody see it, it won't even get past the production stage because the cultural racism. Uh, the cultural stereotyping is already there. That's why Mary Van Peebles had to star in his own. Melvin Van Peebles had to star in his own right. film. I mean, uh, nobody was going to back that thing, and nobody did. You know, he made that. What is it? Fifty grand that he scrounged up and made yeah. got loans. When we learned that Tom Laughlin Laughlin Laughlin,
0: I think it's Laughlin. Let's say Laughlin had for the a rest break of the episode. and
1: started a monastery. I mean, this guy is fascinating. God, a successful, geez, always, a presumably yeah. like successful monastery school. So, he is in 70s terms being as woke as he could be. You know, he's trying to challenge- Yes, I agree with that. You know, his yes. whiteness, let's say. But he's also kind of like, he is Billy Jack from everything I read. He's kind of this, you know, stoic asshole. Strong gets into fights yeah. with people he works with. Uh, knows the right way.
0: Okay. I will can see the point. I think you're right It doesn't get made if we don't have like a white guy as the main character in this Where I will push back though again is kind of like, going back to like the message of this movie And I think ultimately what it's trying to do is be this conversation between like what do we do when we see injustice? Or do we take the mm-hmm. pacifist route? Which is what the hippies were trying to communicate back in the late 60s early 70s or do we kind of have to take action? Do we have to go to the streets and be like, no, this isn't right. Let's stop it. And I don't know ultimately what this movie wants me to believe on. that. They don't know either. <laughs> Where yeah. am I supposed to say, well, am I supposed to say, yeah, fuck passivism? Or am I supposed to be like, no, let's like grab our guns and go and then and, you know, have another armed oh, revolution. We've seen
1: this too, uh, you know, in all the movies. I think the answer is nobody knew. And I think we're coming out of, not coming, we're in the midst of a civil rights movement where we have both sides being played out on the streets, right? It's not just MLK that's doing marches. You've got Malcolm X, you've got the Black Panthers, you've got all these people that are trying both routes, routes in the middle, just trying whatever they can Mm -hmm. uh, to get a message across and in a weird way. This movie is kind of a great representation of that because they have no idea what they're doing either. And it's not even like uh, (laughs) Billy Jack goes and beats everybody up and wins. He doesn't. Like, so, the pacifists all lose. He actually technically loses at the end. Like, one guy dies, but... Or no, two guys die. Uh, But even they're like, is that good? Like, is this justice? Nobody knows. Yeah. So, it is a fascinating... exposition about the culture of the time.
0: <laughs> I really honestly believe had this material I think it's, it would still need to be reworked slightly but had this material been brought to a, an experienced scriptwriter director I think this could have been pushed into being like this is like a great movie like one of the great movies of being like um, or if it was tried to be remade today I think that there enough is meat? enough meat <laughs> on the bone here to be like yeah like let's do this like this is uh it's trying to say something it has action in it and it, it has a message that is resonant to the times that we're living in here today i'll go
1: the other way i think that this movie needed more improv and in fact if the entire film <laughs> okay. I, I suspect it was all improv but it might have done better well
0: yeah so <laughs> holy moly so if you have not watched this movie and you're just listening listening to us talk about it which is wild but there is a subplot in this movie that we're watching an improv class oh, and I'm not joking when I'm pretty sure 25% it's more, of honestly.
1: it kept this, coming
0: back maybe yeah. maybe 30% 30% of this runtime of about two hours is just watching an improv class I'm like <laughs> it is such an interesting choice to be brought in and yet in a weird way I find it so fascinating to watch those and scenes. And just
1: to be clear for those, because this is not readily available anywhere, we're not talking about scripted improv, you know, we're talking-
0: No, like, like a document. Half this
1: movie is shot as a documentary somehow, even though it's a fictional narrative. And when they do the improv, we're talking about you're in a gymnasium, they've got a camera on and it's clear that half of them are actual teenagers. There's like two, two actors yeah. and they just make up- fucking weird scenes to represent the civil struggles of America yeah. at that time. It's so weird. <laughs> uh,
0: w- uh, one of them being, and I can't remember the actor's name now, but he plays Johnny Fever on WKRP <laughs> in Cincinnati. So that's fun that he's in this movie. But so that group that we're seeing, it was an actual improv group called The Committee. But this gets into some deep lore. I don't know how much you know about like the, the evolution of improv in America. But one of the members of the committee in the early years was a, was a man named Del Close. And Del Close would eventually go on to Found Second City. Oh, wow. Which is, like, huge. <laughs> like It was in the feeder system for Saturday Night Live for, like, the next two decades sort of thing. And really came up with, like, the tenements of this is what good improv is. And you're actually kind of seeing his influence here in those scenes. The kids are from... The Other Ways School, which was uh, in the early 70s and late 60s, this guy named Herbert Cole or Cole made this school that was kind of like separate from public schools of like, no, 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 public schools are doing this wrong. Uh, every person is, is an individual. We have to teach to their strengths and standards. Montessori stuff. Made the school called The Other Ways, kind of a Montessori type of thing. That, so they just brought in those students. So, yeah, most of these people are not actors or they're improv uh, performers and especially in that one scene where it's like the committee meeting where the guys are yelling back and forth, it really does feel like someone just set up a camera and watched an actual committee being yelled at and chalked down. And, and it's like, I, is this what I'm watching? <laughs> For a minute, I, thought, I thought, thought it had turned into like a documentary thing that they had just brought into the movie. But uh, I think it's a combination of both.
1: Somebody needs to
0: make a movie just of committee meetings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, we'll never know what the... Production process was so, you know, you've got Tom Laughlin with this loose idea of what Billy Jack could do to save America And then they start shooting this film and you know, like, you know, what we need we need a, a school board town committee And we need a bunch of hippie kids They need to represent what it's like to try to fight for our rights in a Democratic, you know forum and we'll have two characters who are clearly racist and then like a bunch of kids who are too smart for their age We'll just throw it at each other and see what happens. It's such a weird, such a weird. Experience. That's right.
0: Like it's just such a bizarre plot, anyways. Like it starts off by this uh, deputy's uh, daughter running oh, off to such a weird some commune. weird commune. And part of it is because there's this bad guy who is going onto Native American land and stealing horses for, for dog meat. <laughs> uh, and that's when Billy Jack shows up because you just have to like crow like a loon and Billy Jack appears or something. I, it's is, not really he's explained. There he's there to save. He just like kind of walks out of the forest and he's there. And then yeah, that devolves into like them trying to shut down this school that's out there so that they can continue to like harvest these horses. Like none of this really makes any sense to me whatsoever. And I don't think it really needs to be because ultimately it is trying to have all these commentaries about America at that time and that place. But like, what a wild way to get into this movie, <laughs> watching some horses fall off a cliff. Yeah, I
1: mean, like we should just try to name the themes. You have, you know, native rights, there's black power, there's animal rights, yeah. there's female um, civil rights. Yeah. They've got alternative school learning. They've got small town America. They've got, you know, the whole li-
0: Time about corruption and politics. And like poor. there's a bunch yeah. of yeah.
1: The kid that gets the brand new Corvette, and you know he's uh, he's unable to be pr- prosecuted by the arm of the law. Like, they
0: try uh, so, c- child sex trafficking right. is, is mentioned in this. Like they it's like have a checklist, so and he's much. like,
1: we're gonna we're gonna put everything in this thing. I'm gonna solve everything, yeah. and solves nothing.
0: Well, okay, so let's do this. There's a lot more that I want to talk about, but I think we need to talk about some of the backstory of this movie. Billy Jack is released on May first, 1971. It is rated 6.3 on IMDb, it has a 50 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, from 16 critics, it has a 63%, and from 5,000 plus users, it has a 63% as well. So critics and audiences kind of agree, it's a bit middle of the road. It is available on DVD, and you can get it on Blu-ray as part of the complete Billy Jack collection, which was released in 2017, so a fairly recent release. In Canada, you cannot buy or rent it on any other of the streaming platforms, at least not legally. Maybe if you just peruse Daily Motion, you might find a copy of this movie, but I can't say that for sure.
1: It's a machine. We'll blame the machine.
0: There's never been a better video sharing site than Daily Motion. Its budget was $800,000. It would go on to make $32.5 million, which is. Because of inflation, similar to a movie making $212 million today. This was the second highest grossing film in North America in 1971. It was the highest grossing film worldwide. And I have never heard about this movie in my life. (laughs) It is so bizarre to me. It's plot description from IMDb is, and I need you to listen to me carefully, because this is literally from IMDb. I'm not misspeaking. X Green Beret Hakido Expert saves wild horses from being slaughtered for dog food and helps protect a desert freedom school for runaway. <laughs> it doesn't actually finish the sentence. I think it means for runaway kids or runaways, but it doesn't actually say that. It just says for runaway and then stops. It stars Tom Lovelin as Billy Jack, Dolores Taylor as Gene Roberts, Bert Freed as Bernard Posner, and Julie Webb as Barbara. What do you want to say about those actors, actresses in this to movie? To be
1: honest, I only researched Tom because it became an essay. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, Dolores Taylor, uh, who is like the person who runs the school, they yes. are married. So they are husband and wife. were hu- married at the time of this movie, in fact. And as far as I can tell, uh, Tom Lofton had a bit of a film career before yes. this, uh, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Doris Taylor only appeared in the Billy Jack movies. She did not act in anything else besides the Billy Jack movies. And in fact, really, Tom Lovin really was only in Billy Jack movies from this point forward.
1: Skipping all of the pre-Billy Jack stuff. Glancing over, I mean, he, he, I think he served, he did study acting somehow. I don't know if you can tell. Yes. Um, He has a credit (laughs) in South Pacific.
0: Yeah, I was going to talk about that. So, yeah, that was one of his kind of first breakout performances. Um, I don't think he had a singing part. I think he was just a a supporting player. He was dressed
1: up as a tree in the back, a palm tree. (laughs) Right,
0: right. (laughs) Swaying in the breeze. Um, By the way, too, I should should mention that the girl who sings in this movie, the blind haired girl who like really does head oh, concert yeah, yeah. for With like guitar, two and, yeah. and a half minutes. Uh, yeah. Is their daughter. Oh, well, so whole family affair.
1: So it turns out that, uh, yeah, his acting career is not doing so well. So him and uh, Dolores decide they're going to open up a Montessori school. And apparently, it does really well until it doesn't. So it says something like yeah. "1964 is the biggest one in America," and, in 65, and then sixty-five they they're bankrupt, bankrupt.
0: in sixty-five. <laughs> I want to know more. Like I just like w- wait, 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 something happened here. Uh, some sort of funneling of money or something is going on. I uh, yeah. So I don't think there's a huge career for a lot of the people we just mentioned. But this movie, written by Frank Christina and Teresa Christina, directed by TC Frank. Those are all fake names. As is the producer who is credited as Mary Rose Salty. Because they're all Tom Laughlin yep. They're just pseudonyms for him. And his wife, Dolores Taylor. So he did produce, write, direct... And star in this. He's the quadruple threat, Dave. <laughs> quadruple threat.
1: In the Wikipedia, they call him a producer, a writer, an actor, and a director. And I'm pretty sure it's because of this movie. It's great.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why they did the pseudonyms necessarily. I guess maybe they just want to have like Tom Loveland, Tom Loveland, Tom Loveland, like in the credits. Actually, maybe
1: if we could do this kind of research, maybe it has to do with all this finance stuff. You know, maybe his name right. can't be yeah. associated because he's you know uh being chased after for tax evasion or something like that. Maybe. Um, maybe. But yeah, so he, he apparently has been sitting on this script uh, since like the 50s or late
0: 50s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're, stepping on, you're stepping on my stuff here, Dave. So, let's do this. Here's this one. Right, right, right. the, Before the you go
1: there, then let me just throw this uh, fun thing. He ran or put his uh, name in to be the president of the United States of America. Three, three this times. This is why I think people in America must know who he is. They, even though he's yeah. a joke, they must know who Billy Jack is because this guy tried to be president. Yeah, he ran against Obama. I tried to run against Obama
0: and GW. It's
1: like 2008. You know, that's fascinating. He has my vote.
0: Here's the thing. I think we need to talk about Born Losers. And no, I'm not talking about us, Dave. Uh, It's actually the first film in the Billy Jack series. So this is a sequel to that movie. But we should go back further and talk about Tom Lovelin just in a couple more details. So he's your standard last picture show football playing all-american boy like that's really how he grew up goes to college playing football and then sees a production of a streetcar named desire which apparently changes his life so he now wants to be an actor he starts hanging around the drama department and eventually he gets to the university of south dakota where he majors in radio acting directing and producing uh, and this is also where he meets dolores taylor his wife after school, wants to break into movies, so he writes a screenplay for this movie that we're talking about in 1954. I'm assuming it probably got changed a little bit when it was finally made, but more he writes the movie guy, in 1954. Yeah. Uh, he is directly inspired by seeing the treatment of Native Americans in South Dakota specifically, uh, but it doesn't seem like any studio wants to make it. But so, Lovin starts his acting career, like you said, he's in South Pacific, a few TV episodes... The other big one he's in is Robert Altman's film, The Delinquents, uh, which he and Altman do not get along at all, uh, but he is in one of Robert Altman's first films. Uh, By the early 1960s, he's decided that he needs to do something more with his life rather than acting, and it's not exactly giving him a lot of money to survive on anyways, so him and Dolores start this Montessori school in Santa Monica, and like you said, 64, it's profile, I think it's on like 60 Minutes or some news program, like, This is like the most successful Montessori school in America, and it's bankrupt a year later. So he jumps on this fad that's happening in the mid-60s, where there is a lot of motorcycle exploitation films being made. I'll have to take people's word on it, because the only one I kind of know of is Easy Rider, but that came out in 69. So apparently there's a lot more motorcycle movies being made. So what he does is he writes this new script featuring the Billy Jack character, and... Does the same thing. Puts pseudonyms on, but he writes, directs, produces, Born losers. Uh, you've read the synopsis. Do you remember what the synopsis told you about this movie? Hell's
1: angels raping girls. I don't want to watch yes. it.
0: Yeah. From my memory, this is basically how it goes. It, like I said, it's it's not good, but it's like Billy Jack is like living out in the forest. He's like uh, showy nude in the waterfall and he goes into town to buy some groceries. And while he's there... Yeah, he sees this like hell's angels roughing up a kid, and he goes and like kicks their butts. Shoes on or shoes off? He goes to shoes on Ooh. actually. So he had not been trained in half keto yet. That's why. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about half keto in a moment. Uh, so beats them up. He is bullied by them. Eventually, they both go to jail, but he has to serve a longer sentence because it was retaliation instead of their initial thing, which is like bad justice system why are these white supremacists because they're Nazis because they have like Nazi tattoos and everything and then we follow yeah this girl who is like part of the hippie movement on drugs she gets captured like you said is raped but they want to have a trial and have these girls they want them to testify but they bully them so that now no other girls want to testify anyways the climactic moment is him going and shooting up the neo-Nazis and it's a big cathartic moment it is a Weird movie. It's just a really weird. It's not acted very well as you could have told by from this movie, too um, But at the very least uh, neo-nazis are treated as bad people. So at least there's one thing going for it. If
1: there's saving grace We get to watch some neo-nazis die.
0: Hey, there's there's bad people on both sides Dave. There's bad people on both sides It's a surprise huge hit uh, and he's supposed to follow that up with a documentary about Martin Luther King and the issues facing black Americans. And he gets it backed by Marlon Brando, Jack Lemon, Candace Bergen, and Robert Wise.
1: Speaking of Brando. Right?
0: Who we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, They're friends. Yeah.
1: His son went to this Montessori, Montessori school. school. S- six degrees, man. Tangled webs.
0: Tangled web. Uh, this is what we're finding in 71. Like, everybody knows everyone else, and they all cross paths somehow. You know
1: what? It's the hippie thing. They're literally all in bed together, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if, like, some of that funding then went on to help fund this movie after it fell through. I don't know. Whatever. We do know that instead he decides to cash in on the success of Born Losers with this sequel. There were a bunch of problems with the distributor American International Pictures, who wanted most of the political commentary cut, which. And the nudity. Yeah. Yeah, which, what, that would leave the improv scenes? Like, I don't even know what that movie looks like then in at this point. You know so, what I
1: really liked? The improv. Can we just... Yeah, do
0: more of the improv. <laughs> <laughs> that mustachio guy is a star. We have to keep... Just go after him. We're developing a TV this
1: show. Let, let's get this mm-hmm. guy. Anyways, keep going. Sorry. Sorry.
0: So, Warner Brothers steps in, says they're going to release it, and Loveland hates how they marketed it, so he sues them. Uh, and eventually wins and re-releases it his way in 1973. Uh, so where I'm not 100% sure, where I couldn't like, uh, like box nail office. it down specifically, if the box office it got was actually in 1971, or if that includes the 1973 re-release. I
1: suspect it. As I suspect it's both from how I was reading some of the history, yeah. um, but it's hard to tell because nobody cared at that time. So, there's no yeah. stats. It's not like today. It's still, yeah, they it didn't yeah, track it still
0: made a lot of money. Like $32 million we, we, is insane.
1: Yeah. That's a lot of Americans yeah. that really bought into Billy Jack.
0: Apparently, it was a lot of the youth going to see this. It was not like older audiences going to see this movie. Apparently, yes. Lava has this great quote where he says, the youth of this country only have two heroes, Ralph Nader and Billy Jack. <laughs> Ralph Nader for life. Which is like, I guess, sure. What happened to MLK? What happened to your documentary, dude? Nope, only two heroes. <laughs> Ralph Nader. <laughs> he gave his seatbelts, goddammit. One notable thing is that this is Simultaneously happening with the Bruce Lee films Mm. coming out into America. So I think it technically, by like a couple of months, is the first American film that has like kung fu or martial arts inside of it, which would then become super popular throughout the 70s. So it was novel to see that sort of thing. We've told you already it's called Hapkido. Loveland was trained by Han Bong Su, who is credited as at the beginning of this movie and is considered the father of modern hapkido so he actually trained a lot of people in this style
1: just for people to know that is a so-called traditional korean martial art that uh yeah is an offshoot with taekwondo well,
0: yeah what makes it unique like what is the not a lot is hapkido I, different from? i think
1: you know the more i learn about the history of this stuff outside of what i was told when i was a young kid from korean people is that Because of the the colonization by Japan, hapkido and taekwondo seem to be derivatives of karate that were modified and there are actually more traditional Korean martial arts. But at the end of the day, hapkido is a type of taekwondo that includes grappling, uh, which you don't see in this film. And this film, the hapkido that's in here is basically taekwondo, you know, he just kicks a lot of guys in their face.
0: Pretty good. I have to say, uh, (laughs) as dumb as this movie is. I was like, oh, wow, he actually just dropkicked that guy. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he,
1: when, they, uh, when he does some of the stunts and you see the camera, and you're like, he actually did some. And it looks like it because some of the uh, movements are not this beautiful balletic choreographed mm-hmm. stuff. It actually just looks like he's trying his best to kick a yeah. dude in his stomach. Yeah, I mean, that's something.
0: Not that we're going to go like super far into detail, but like he goes on, makes two more Billy Jack films, the third in the series, the follow up to this one, which I think is called Billy Jack Goes on Trial or Billy Jack on Trial, something Isn't like that. Isn't that the fourth one? The no, trial no, of Billy right. Jack. The
1: third one is, yeah, because he's just going to court at the end of this one.
0: That's right. Uh, it's three hours long, what? by the <laughs> way. There's, there's no way I'm watching that movie. So that movie also becomes really successful and it changes how movies are released and marketed. Uh, we talked about this during the Bed and Broomsticks episode, but movies used to be released slowly throughout the country and then the world. So it would start in like one city, then go to the next, and it would like have this slow rollout. Uh, so, yeah, The Trial of Billy Jack was released just a few years later after this one. And so, what he did is he released it in every major city and then bought time on local news programs to advertise the movie. And so, it's like this movie's out now, um, and people will then flock to it. And it's essentially how. Every major film from then on was marketed and released. So credited to him as being the first person who did that. Uh, the only other non-Billy Jack film that he would make after 1971 was this movie called The Master Gunfighter, where he's a cowboy with a rifle, but also a samurai sword. Uh, so yes, please. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> become such a great trope. That. Yeah, that's, I know. that's
1: a big thing. Every science fiction movie, really.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's basically Star Wars, really, at the end of the day. His legacy is somewhat mired in weird money issues. Like he had the, these plans to take his company, Billy Jack Enterprises, and make it another United Artists. Uh, but then a few years later, he was again millions of dollars in debt, maybe because of government causing him hardships. That's what his point of view is. Maybe he was just bad with money. Like I don't know. I just don't know what the answer to that is. But he is one of the major pioneers of independent film. He championed new voices well into the 2000s. But because of rights issues, most of his movies aren't available on streaming, which may be reducing his legacy. That's what I would say, at least. And then, as, I, as the machine wrote out here, he also ran for president for, in 92, 2004, and 2008.
1: <laughs> I mean, just, just to be clear, he didn't get any votes,
0: and he wasn't allowed no. on a podium to debate... But it is fascinating to think that... Wouldn't you like to see him try and do a roundhouse kick, though, to like Ross Perot or something like that? Well,
1: you know what's interesting is in this America, if he had survived into the 2020s, the America that actually brought Trump in, he might have had a shot.
0: Yeah. Right? Him and Trump debating would be... That would be must-watch TV. Yeah, that'd be gold.
1: That'd be gold. And And then
0: you cry for democracy (laughs) while you're enjoying the telecast.
1: (laughs) That's a thing. He did it. I don't know what I'll say about it. It's shocking and like I said, I bet Americans know more about this guy just because he's so weird.
0: What else do you want to talk about this movie? Well, I
1: don't know where 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 to begin Where do we even start?
0: I uh, yeah, I actually wrote that down in my notes. Where do we even start with this? Because there's mm. so many directions I feel this could go or could go?
1: Well, I mean, we touched basically on the thematic nature and problems of this film, which is. I mean, it's clear at the very least that Tom Laughlin is an advocate and he's trying in his mind to do the right thing on a very broad political spectrum. Leader of the civil rights movement he is... So he's using film as a vehicle to get people woke, really. It's not successful as a film, but it is fascinating to watch his sort of naive approach to it and... uh, you know, kind of buy into it as it's going as you're going into it. It's it's such a bad movie. Like you said, I think I quit you know, this is this is like an Omega Man. It's it's almost it's clearly not intentionally bad, but it's hard to take your right. eyes away from it because I don't know, there are moments. There are just these weird moments. I mean, the rich guy white faces the native kids with flour or sugar i don't know it's such a weird there are so many weird things that happen in this
0: well like uh, we only briefly mentioned but like the snake dancing scene (laughs) where it's like this again 1971 so i understand the time but it's like this is feeling like it's going way too much into that like all native americans are these like weird spiritual like not human things and it's like but you're also supporting native rights. Uh So like that, that's a kind of a weird dynamic that's in this movie. There's the uh like, damn your pacifism. <laughs> like it feels like it's like this political statement, but then I don't feel like it's ever like followed up on. I have to call out that moment where he confronts like the rich kid who's in the bed with the 13 year old, which is, That kind of comes out of a little bit nowhere. Uh, But then he like, Ric Flair chops him in the throat (laughs) and kills him. And I'm like, all right, I guess this is, that's where we are with this, with this movie. You know what's so
1: weird about that is the buildup of that bad kid is that he's insecure, cowardly, and then turns out that, that he's sexually repressed too. Because like when he rapes Billy Jack's wife or the teacher, there's very weird dialogue there where he's struggling with this act and then he violently uh, performs it and the right. next time you
0: see him uh, no uh, but towards the end he's suddenly in bed with a child like that's some weird Yeah, like that it's a weird characterization and because i feel like the, at the very beginning where his father is trying to get him to shoot right. horses uh they shoot horses don't uh, they they, um, they try to that, but billy jack stops them well the thing is, is that he can't bring himself to right. do it. And so th- th- for for a moment I was like, "Oh, okay, this is an interesting dynamic. The kid is trying to be forced to be evil like his dad, but doesn't want to. And like, oh no, no, he's actually a jerk too." Okay, <laughs> I guess more that's more evil. because yeah, we're
1: not as it turns out.
0: The the phrase there's a there's part of this script that feels so modern because that daughter who comes who's been on the commune and is now pregnant is like I don't know how many people have balled me. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I, what you, I, I was not expecting you to say that in that kind of frank manner. But well, that's what this movie does.
1: I think, you know, we, we're stressing this so much. With the end of the code and, and we saw that with, with, again, Shaft, Sweetback, a little bit in French, like these gritty sort of um, earthy movies, this uh, break in representation where people aren't, what do you call it, nuclear family that we've come to expect of the previous era. And so it is quite shocking that this teenage girl pouts, gets picked up by the sheriff, comes in all sulky, and then just starts mouthing off to her dad. About mm-hmm. how she's been bald and she's pregnant. I don't know. I don't know how many people have been. You know, you're just like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? Don't know if my
0: baby's going to be black, white, or brown, or whatever she says. So and then, like, the,
1: and then her dad like close fist knocks her out and her dumps out. her body yeah. in the forest. Yeah, and is <laughs>
0: upset that like someone saves her or like that he wants her back and like oh, you literally dumped her for dead in the woods. Like I don't know what your you, issue is.
1: You know what's fascinating about that is we learn, you know, with all the news coverage, that is not rare right? That act of violence is apparently quite prevalent in the world. So I don't know. Do you get points for being first to
0: throw that on a screen? I feel like this is like, (laughs) it's kind of like every, it's a two step forward, then one step back. So it's like a full retraction. It's just like they do these good things and it's like, oh, this is not executed well at all. Like even like this dynamic between the pacifism versus using violence. It's like, but when this happens, I go berserk. Like, like he hulks out and then like starts. Playing. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. A, I just don't think Tom Boffin is a good enough actor to pull that statement off very well. But it's just like, I don't. What What are you trying to say? What are you, What are you trying to do with this? And then because they're like they're self aware enough to be like, I forget what the exact quote is, but something like the the white people they're not going to be the ones that save us. They're not going to be the ones who change it. It has to be the the other people that force the change to happen in the world. Um, it's like, yeah, that's great, that's great. And then it's like they use like the black power statement, like every white guy push the fists up as he's being carried away. It's like he didn't really do anything. Like, I don't understand what, why you're giving him like the fists. I'm like, yeah, man, you did it. And I'm like, and all I was there is thinking, it was like, did what? Like, what he didn't do? He got shot. Anything?
1: No, he killed that one guy by shooting him directly uh, In between the, the eyes with, with a squirt yeah. of ketchup. Well, and I think this is why it makes a fascinating comparison to Sweetback because. It's the same, I don't know, problem, but it's the same thing. Uh, You know what? He's kind of speaking to what Sweetback was trying to do, you know? If you need the oppressed people to make a statement to push back, I mean, he's literally describing the attempt of Melvin and Peebles Mm. to put their struggle out uh, onto a screen. Except he does it where he's the hero. So you get this problem with uh, appropriation about representation. about uh, the white savior narrative I mean, that stuff is very weird. I mean it's probably he's self-aware enough even though this is now viewed upon as fundamentally incorrect to right. make his character half native because I think he's aware that he can't be a John Just Wayne the white guy. Savior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he can't be a John Wayne guy in there and winning either. Uh and so that's one of the main reasons I think this thing becomes so muddled. He's maybe he's too self-aware and maybe, uh, maybe. he keeps pulling every punch, you know, the improv, they do that Monty Python esque uh, scene in the park, the street
0: scene with the, and you're with just the like, cop.
1: What is going on? Well, but uh, and that's the thing. it's Like again,
0: <laughs> I think I, I think a couple of the improv people are good, but you, then you're doing it with a bunch of other people who are, are I don't think are used to improv. And it's like, boy, in the right hands, this would be a hilarious scene, <laughs> and it's really just not working. <laughs> I don't well, think
1: that's park scene. I'm pretty sure if Monty Python hadn't already done it. Then uh, you know they've done a better version of it, and yeah. you, if you pull that out of the context of this film, yeah, that scene is hilarious because you know it's taking a spin on who's actually in charge of those. It, so for those who will never watch this, they make up a scenario where someone is trying to rob uh, an innocent victim, but then they start critiquing each other on how mm-hmm. that one is supposed to rob and how one ought to be robbed, and mm-hmm. then a police officer comes and all of a sudden it becomes this. A quite potentially hilarious thing again very monty python where everybody has you know no idea what they're actually supposed to be doing why is that in this movie it has <laughs> no, nothing it's to a do... good point
0: <laughs> like none of the improv scenes really need to be in this movie like no. i can see them just have a brief like two minutes like yes they're in an improv scene and billy jack comes in or like we understand that the school is more than just like english classes or whatever but there's like it goes on and on and then another scene comes in and then it goes on and on. And then the third scene and then it goes on and on. It's like, so are we like, why, why is this here?
1: Well, the, what was the first one? Black Jesus and the, uh, and then the they did the safe...
0: driving scene with like the, they invited the, the parents and the school board to come out to see what they were doing. Well, they then had to do the street scene. Oh yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. So the only one that maybe could have worked in this film was the, having the, adjudicators of the education board to like understand that these kids aren't uh you know having orgies at least not in the gymnasium and (laughs) uh you know maybe maybe you could have used that you shouldn't it doesn't make sense anyways but that was only three of like six improv scenes in this film like what why (laughs) kyle why?
0: If you ever wondered what it feels like to be the friend of someone who says, hey, can you come and see my improv show? <laughs> it's basically this movie. It's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um, I think it's important to understand what critics at the time thought. So there's a couple quotes that got pulled or that I pulled. I'm going to stick with Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael. They were both aligned on this movie where it's like kind of what we're saying. is like there's elements here that do kind of work but ultimately, it's, it's kind of a failure of a movie. Ebert says, or he wrote, The movie has as many causes in it as a year's run of the New Republic. There's not a single contemporary issue from ecology to gun control that's not covered. And toward the movie's end, you're wondering how these characters, who are just ordinary folks in a small southwestern town, manage to confront every single ethical hurdle in a few weeks of living. It's possible, I guess, but it would keep you awfully busy, and then there are always the Jews in the Soviet Union to think about, and the Pakistan refugees. I'm also somewhat disturbed by the central theme of the movie. Billy Jack seems to be saying the same thing as born losers, that a gun is better than a constitution in the enforcement of justice. Is democracy totally obsolete, then? Is our only hope that the good fascists defeat the bad fascists? Lawson and Taylor are still asking themselves these questions, and Billy Jack arrives at a conclusion that is only slightly more encouraging. So I don't know if you have anything to say to that statement.
1: You know, I also read that, and the only thing that I was thinking is how much more apt that has become today, Mm. because that is actually, I mean, this guy's prescient. That is what happened (laughs)
0: Right. Well, for most movies, it's like we have to we have to be caring about other people, and we're going to solve our problems by killing other people or shooting (laughs) people or beating them up. Right right.
1: now, I mean, look at look at what's going. on. I mean, not to overuse COVID for because too many people talk about COVID, but uh, what where's democracy? Where's common sense? Where's rationality? And where is there a form of vigilantism that's happening right now? Not just in the anti-mask movement, but smear campaigns against the opposite. The Twitter. You know, this is not a rational discourse we've uh, devolved into. Uh, so Billy Jack, Ebert puts uh, a great observation on it, but Billy Jack is aware of this problem, that there might not be a solution. Uh, so you yeah. might as well take your shoes off and kick someone and in the face. Kick, kick someone in the throat, get something, yeah. get something for yourself. I need to get a shirt with Billy Jack's
0: face on it. Pauline Kale wrote, In Plot and Structure, the picture is a crude, shapeless mess. But the Freedom School teachers comedians from the committee and some loose good humored children actually herbert cole students from the other way school give it a disarming hip innocence there's a sweet naive feeling to the movie even when it's violent and melodramatic and atrocious and when it's good it's good in an unorthodox uh, improvisatory way This may be the first movie in which a rape victim talks about what happened to her in terms of a specific feminine anger at her violation. Dolores Taylor speaks haltingly in a sing-song monotone, as if she were working it out, and by normal dramatic standards the scene is a drag, yet it stays with one. The picture has a special fairy tale appeal to very young audiences, in part because Billy Jack uses his mystical powers on behalf of the young. I thought this statement Really jumped out at me because, as a guy, of course, I'm not going to pick up on some of these things, but it's interesting her interpretation of that rape scene I think, like, no, like this is kind of what a rape victim right after the deed happens. sounds like feels like um and emotes like, and as much as again, yeah, I don't think much much of the acting is good. I think you even called this out. It's like, uh, this feels like we're actually watching this actress after this actually happened to her,
1: yeah, I mean, and we don't know, of course, what the actress is personal experiences are especially especially because we are aware that she is not an actress. So for right. her to put that moment on the screen, I mean that's not glycerin or whatever like eye drops in her eyes, like she's in that moment uh, whether again successfully for the stage or not is irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. But And this is the thing about the core <laughs> and uh, impetus of this is that again whether it's a lived experience or just amp- empathetic experience. There's a genuine attempt to put real issues in front of a broad audience. Mm. (laughs) I'm only laughing because it is so poorly executed that you don't, it's hard. So, that's a moment where, yeah, you're taken aback. I was, and I was like, oh, wow, like, is she reliving something? And then it's followed by, I don't know, a bunch of people kicking each other in the face. All of it, all of the conversation, even with the kids, even, you know, the, the white face powder moment, It all of it actually seems like maybe it's all anecdotal. And right. they're just kind of bringing Billy Jack to solve what happened without resolution in people's actual experience.
0: That's what, the, honestly, that, that white facing scene, I don't know how else we want to term it. Like, because I know, and we have just heard that this was a board out of his experience being in South Dakota. I bet you that is. He like walked in on that or there was a newspaper report on that exact thing happening because that's kind of what it feels like to me.
1: Even with the kids and they don't know how to read. I mean, the, the kid acting, I mean, it's not their fault, but the acting yeah. is so bad in that scene because they're just yes. staring off into the void.
0: But at least later on, he, th- that kid does give her a St. Francis of a sissy quote. So <laughs> we know he's he's learned it, I guess.
1: <laughs> I will say this. I mean, uh, from my experience, I've been in many situations where I watched... So, I'm not as egregious as this, you know, uh, blatant racism but I suspect most people have been in a situation where they're like, I wish I had done something different to have been part of either Mm. a solution or whatever. So, uh, maybe this is what really draws audiences into movies of this nature and maybe all like superhero movies and everything that's followed after is this fantasy that if I only had a flat brimmed hat and no (laughs) shoes. I might have been able to help those kids that were being bullied by a rich kid, rich white kid in a Dairy Queen or wherever they yeah,
0: were. Yeah, you know what I read though? I'm uh, sorry, not read. I went down this YouTube rabbit hole of watching interviews with Tom Laughlin. Oh no. <laughs> presumably, I don't know how much I believe this, but presumably that hat was suggested, I think, by his daughter. But then. He was looking through old photos and, like, some Native American in the past uh, that was really important to, like, a South Dakotan tribe, I think, is what he said. I watched so many. They're all kind of bleeding together. <laughs> and he, was like, he wore that exact same hat, so I knew I had to now wear that hat in the movie. I'm like, that sounds maybe kind of made up, but who knows?
1: Well, I will say, at least as far as characterization in photographs and paintings, that hat is depicted on Native American uh, certain right. tribes. But I, I am no expert. I don't think Tom Laughlin's an expert. There is a problem of cultural appropriation and representation in all of this. But this is also a 70s thing. Like, and like I said at the beginning, if you don't do that, you know, what is bad representation in this era? Because if you don't do this and nobody ever sees this film, then nobody ever talks about it. It's such a weird thing, right? Like it's a trap. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I, that, that's the thing. And what I keep returning to is that I think it is okay. To point out like, hey, this is cultural appropriation in 1971, while also simultaneously being like, but without the white person elite, this movie doesn't get made in 1971. You can hold both of those ideas, I think, at the same time and be like, if this were made today, then yeah, absolutely. You should be casting someone who is either Native American or in Canada, we call them Métis if you're like half indigenous and half uh, white lineage. So yeah, cast one, uh, someone who's more appropriate for that role.
1: And the only caveat to that, and I don't mean this as a, as an argument, but you do also have to make sure that that person can perform said role. Right. And that's, you know, and that's, again, there are traps there too. It's just, these are just projects which are inherently problematic when you're challenging a cultural intellectual norm. Yeah. You either billy jacket or you tread very carefully and either way, somebody's going to be upset at it. Actually, we're sounding now becoming very defensive of this film. It is not a good movie, right? No, it's not
0: good. I don't want it to come because I think this is a good movie. I am giving it points for trying to be something because I think that goes a long way. I honestly, Dave, I think Million Dollar Duck broke me in many ways because now all I can think of is like... But it's better than that movie, so I can't give it, like, a one, because it's like, boy, is it way better than Dollar Jack? Um, and it's trying for something. It just fails at most of the things it's trying to do. I think that there are a few scenes in this that are like, no, this is actually good, well-executed. I could go with this. I even like some of the improv scenes, even though they don't really belong in this movie. But at least, hey, they work, and I'm I actually think that they are funny. Uh, but yeah, as a whole, as a movie, is it trying to say something? No, I, I don't think this movie succeeds. Although you're going to be mad at the, the rating I give it. But that'll <laughs> be in a moment. We're well, done here. Okay, the machine has told us that we do have to wrap up. So I think we do need to ask this question that we ask every episode. Dave, does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant?
1: You know, I, I don't think so. I think that it only holds up if you love shitty movies. You know, and like throwback films, and there, sure. again, we talk about cinephiles. So, if there are people that want to see how bad movies were made in the seventies, you're gonna love this thing because it's got every mistake you could make. You know,
0: I honestly think people should at least watch it once just to experience the ride of being like, "Well, it can't possibly get any weirder than this," and then be like, "Nope, it got weirder." She
1: crawled out of a cave. It doesn't make sense. This, yeah, the snake dance. Uh, the snake
0: dance is so weird. And then... The white p- people can't f- can't feel through the veil, Dave, <laughs> right? The veil of the mysticism. And now in Blood Brothers with the snake. I <laughs> anyway, uh, it's so fucking dumb. <laughs> the, the,
1: the, cultural revel- re- uh, the cultural relevance is a complex one, too. You know, the problem is all of these problems still exist. But the yes. conversations have evolved enough that I don't think this movie will bring up the correct you know, current iteration of what we're really battling anymore. So, I don't think it holds up in a manner of speaking. But again, as a historian, it is fascinating how many of these movies are aware and really trying their best within their confines to let the general public know that we're not papering over this shit anymore, even though subsequently the next generations would have to because a new code would come in. Um, It is doing its best. (laughs)
0: Like, not that... This is so weird for me to be saying this because it's like, I, I'm always trying to be like, we don't need to like be doing all these remakes and like a re-adaptation, the blah, blah, blah. This is kind of a movie I would actually want to see a re-adaptation of. Cut out all the fat, point it down to like one or two of the messages you want to really focus on. Have the character of Billy Jack still be there. And I think you have an, uh, a, a movie that could actually be pretty successful. In a 2021 context, well,
1: this, and this is the problem being an apologist of this film. What is the fat? Is it the fighting? <laughs> well, right? Is it the poor acting? Is it the random scenes? Is it the improv? It's got too many nonsensical yeah, I mean, pieces. Yeah, yeah. That once you do that, you're just making a new movie.
0: Sure. Right. Well, then call it like Jackie really Black or something like yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack William is what it's actually called. Uh, so I will agree that I don't think it holds up. I will push. I do think it's culturally relevant. Like you said, I think that it is still relevant to a lot of the issues that are happening today. Is it successful at the commentary? No, but I still think it is culturally relevant. Uh, this is considered a cult classic. There is a large, like a small but dedicated fan base for the Billy Jack movies that I have now discovered that is online. Who likes all of them? born losers this one the two sequels there's actually a fifth one that was like a made for tv movie that i think was trying to be like a backdoor pilot to a tv series it's i it's wild how many movies there were that featured billy jack it's that montessori money man (laughs) montessori more than the shaft franchise like that's out like how many movies of this that have been made the biggest thing that it has as far as cultural relevance right now is that brad pitt use the billy jack character as inspiration for how he played his role in once upon a time in hollywood so like the monotone like not really inflicting anything it. in his voice yeah uh so i can see it i can actually see it when that's pointed out to you it's like oh yeah i can see tom often being kind of like a brad pitt
1: i'm off tarantino so i i uh oh, i didn't I watch
0: that I think it's good. I actually really like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It only works, though, if you know anything about the Manson murders. And if you don't, I really don't think that movie makes any sense. But because I do, it worked for me.
1: I know everything about the Manson murders.
0: That being said, as far as Billy Jack goes, that's what Dave and I thought. But what do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle kyleanddavevsthemachine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle kdvstm. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com kdvstm. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, at least another one, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts, uh, which by the way, we've got a bunch of new subscribers as of the recording of this episode, Ooh. which is nice to hear and see. People care. Let's get to the rating <laughs> of this movie. Dave, out of five, what are you giving Billy Jack?
1: Yeah, I've been wrestling with this, but after this conversation, you know, I, I can't get off this problem. And you brought it up with Sunday Bloody Sunday. We've been kind of talking about this as a whole, and my scores are so low that I do mm. kind of feel like I need to revisit all of this. The question in my mind is now, am I more apt to re-watch Sweetback or will I actually come back and watch this? And I actually think even though I don't want to, I would rather watch Sweetback again than ever oh, wow. watch this movie okay. again. Even though they use more expensive cameras in this and Tom Laughlin has experience producing films so it, it's pieced together, you know. I have a feeling and we'll bring this up in a few weeks. I think that we're in the glow of how stupid this thing is because we just watched it that we think Maybe. it's funny and i don't know if i'll ever think about this film again and uh, i can't stop thinking <laughs> about sweetback sunday bloody sunday like all of these weird movies we watched uh, so i have to give it a 1 because i think it's dumb uh, i think it tries really hard to do the right thing and i think it's uh, i think it's a bit of a joke but uh, i did enjoy like like i said we spent the whole night in the fiction beside each other texting each other on the phone
0: that's right, because we do not talk to each other outside of this. Podcast. No, but
1: uh, I mean, it's like fucking fifteen pages <laughs> of question oh marks. <laughs> just like, is this what really is happening? happening? <laughs> did he just? You know, so that's that's something. Although, you know what? We should look at the Sweetback because I have a feeling it was the same thing. I think it was probably another fifteen pages. Like, did this really happen? Right. They can't possibly. Oh my God! His handcuffs are still on, and he's going to uh, earn his way to freedom by having sex with that woman. Right. So.
0: I, uh, so this is where you're going to hate my rating, Dave. So this is how I had to do it. So I watched Born Losers and I don't really like the movie, but again, I gave it a little bit of extra points because it's trying to do something rather than it just being absolutely abysmally awful, like a million dollar deck, oh. for instance. So I gave Born Losers a two. This I thought was slightly better than it, which is why I landed on a 2.5. <laughs> all right i flirted with giving it a two as well but i'm like no there's a couple things i do enjoy about it
1: i'm just gonna put this there i know you can change your letterbox score later but you have to live with your decision and if you can do that looking at yourself in the mirror then you're welcome to
0: to to be fair (laughs) to be fair the average rating for billy jack on letterbox is a three so i give it less than the the average that this movie gets so i'm giving a 2.5 which interestingly places it right above Sweet Sweetbacks Then in our list. So entering our list at the number 12 position is Billy Jack. I, I, I have to say, though, Dave, I actually am kind of the reverse of you. I think I would rather watch Billy Jack than Sweet Sweetbacks again if, if I was given the choice between those two movies.
1: How about this? I mean, I, uh, I dislike them for the opposite reasons. But, yeah. you know, in terms of cultural significance, even though this movie is trying its best to tackle as many social issues as it possibly can be aware of. Which one do you think holds more cultural significance between the two?
0: It's a tough one, right? It is tough. Um, And really the only reason I know about Sweet Sweet Back is because it was mentioned on a Simpsons episode, like I mentioned when we recorded that. So at least I knew of that movie. And I literally have never heard of this movie, (laughs) Billy Jack, until this week. Like not a whisper of this movie have I ever heard about.
1: Yeah, never. Me neither. Although, you know... Again, we, we should ask some of our, uh, do we have American friends? I I wonder if you did a poll.
0: Do you know who this is yeah. or what this is? Could be a Canadian Uh thing. Well, I guess we should figure out what we're going to be seeing next week, Dave. I'm going to push this button right here. Oh, well. We, we go from one person trying to do vigilante justice and struggling with pacifism to someone who doesn't have to struggle with passivism because they don't know the word. We're going to watch Dirty Harry next week, Dave. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's time to get away from being woke and just watch a dude punch a bunch of other people. To shoot yeah. as
0: many people as he possibly can. I'm, yeah, that's I, right.
1: I wonder if the machine should have put Dirty Harry right after French Connection. I think that would have been an, a fascinating comparison. Mm we'll have to think about it let's go to clint clint don't do us wrong show us your big gun clint
0: hey (laughs) all right oh god i'm not on hold anymore yes what another two weeks oh my god okay get your shoes off dave we're gonna take this guy out
1: Ralph Nader for life.